Hello and welcome to Rangers Rundown, a podcast my mother has described as being, quote, pretty good. I'm your host, Max, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Hayden. Hello, everyone. And Mike. Hey, guys. And we're here to talk about the 2018 Bartolo Colognes, joined occasionally by other people who wear blue, white, or red. Those other people include such uh, luminaries as Martin Perez and Matt Moore and Cole Hamels, the trio of lefties we threw against the Tampa Bay Rays this week. Uh, did you guys bother to watch any baseball, or were you doing the wise thing and staying home? Oh, I fell for a little bit of it. That's for sure. Did they did they get you with the right game, at least? Did you follow this podcast's prophetic uh, wisdom and skip the starts by Martin Perez and Cole Hamels and watch only... Staff ace, Matt Moore. I think we're batting a 1,000, aren't we? It's it's not looking... Our predictions are very, very good at this podcast. Like we've said multiple I, times, you come for the analysis, and you stay for the incredibly hot takes and 100% laser-accurate predictions. We're out here. We're making predictions. What more do you want? All I, I'm going to have us all three take credit for Matt Moore. Um, obviously a listener of this podcast. Hey, Matt, good job the other day. Thanks for going out and getting us a win uh, when two other guys couldn't. Um, yeah, kind of funny how that worked out with, uh, oh, man. <laughs> he was so bad before, and, and he had a, seven innings. I was very impressed uh, with, with that, with if nothing else, the way that he was able to eat innings and uh, – I mean, he did more than that. He did more than eight, eight innings. He he definitely won that game. It's kind of one of the examples where a pitcher definitely deserves a win. So um, I'm glad we got that. The other two games, um, who would have thought that maybe Cole Hamels could have learned a thing or two from our old friend Matt Moore? Yeah, I I, I wasn't as enthused with the, the Matt Moore turn, although I, I guess we do have to eat a little bit of crow on that one. He did technically win the game. You know, we we did we did win, and winning is supposedly the point of baseball. So, props there, and going deep into the game was a, a nice turn. Getting seven innings out of Matt Moore. Mike, do you have anything else to say positive before I start shredding our secondary well, ace? Yeah, I mean, it was really nice to see them actually win a big ball game. By big, I mean by a large margin. It seems like we've had to eke our very few wins out, and Staking uh, Matt Moore to a lead was certainly beneficial for the team. Difficult to disagree with that. It was nice to see the offense. I'm not going to say break out, but at least put some runs up on the board and do something, especially given what they they, they did today in quote-unquote support of Cole Hamels. Still have a problem leaving guys on base. We're not, we're not really getting that sequencing to work out. Some guys are still hitting for power. Shinsu Chu whacked another pretty impressive opposite field home run today. Something that's always sort of surprised me about Chu is how much power he has going the other way. Balls that look like they're going to be routine flies to not even particularly deep left field, just fine seats or fine concourses. So that was pretty fun. I know the broadcast had a lot of fun discussing it going through the vomitorium, which was amusing, at least to me. It's a Latin word it refers to uh, the places where people are expelled from same route as the thing you're probably thinking of <laughs> let Wonderful me just baseball discussion i i must interject 
that this is the time for your bi-weekly reminder that chew is good. I don't really have much more to say than that. Chew is good. good. Since you chew actually good, that's going to be like the... uh, the award, you know, like you can give gold stars or something, or like uh, in hockey they do the three stars, or uh, you know, uh, man of the match in soccer. It'll just say, so this week, uh, yeah, since you chew, actually good, congratulations. We can just keep doing that. I like that actually. Maybe turn that into a segment. Like this week, Robinson Trinos was actually good. It's, it's the highest honor this podcast can bestow. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure the players can be waiting uh, with bated breath to <laughs> learn if they're going to make the list or not. Oh man, we should definitely like send. Oh, we need to make a like a certificate or something and mail it to the players. Because I mean, you can just send it to like whatever it is, 1000 Ballpark Way, and address it to a player. Because they'll they'll open it thinking, oh look, some six year old sent me a baseball card <laughs> and they want wrong. me to sign it. And we'll just say, like, congratulations, you you hit two home runs last week. You're actually good. And then, uh, let's just say Beltre gets the first one. And he'll be like, this is dumb. Why? Okay, thanks, guys. But then, slowly but surely, everybody in the clubhouse will get one. And then they'll just bring it up someday, like, Mazzara. Man, I got this thing that says I'm actually good. And then, you know, from around the corner, Cole Hamels. Yeah, I got one of those too. What the heck? And then I just started following him on Twitter at Rangers Rundown. And I've just been listening ever since. They're actually good. And then before you know that, oh, you listen too? Hey, We're on to something. Matt Moore, who's sitting there like, what are you guys <laughs> talking about? I haven't gotten any mail. <laughs> nice. What's going to be funny is they're going to start tweeting us their stats to try and promote themselves to get the award. That's when it's really going to be juicy. Oh, I yeah. can't wait. I, so I really I, like I'm that. Bring I'm writing that down. Oh. I'm writing that down. I got my notepad. Yeah, it's going to be actually good to 1,000. Address it to John Blake and be like, can you please uh, tweet this out whenever, you know, not only did uh, Elvis Andrews win the American League Player of the Week award, and then, all right, I'm kind of done with this, but I'm going to do it. But I'm done talking about it. I think we got a good foundation. So on the note of things that are actually good, I'm going to talk about something that I thought was not actually good. So Matt Moore did go seven innings. I mean, in full disclosure, full credit to the man, gave up one run, which was unearned, on five hits and two walks with six strikeouts. You look at the box, there's really no way to say that as a bad pitching performance. Um, gave up one base runner, you know, per inning, whip of one. Six strikeouts in seven innings is fine. It was an unearned run. Okay, that that's that's the good things to say about Matt Moore. Going deep into games in 2018, solid. I watched that game. I watched it twice. I watched all of Moore's innings again today, and then I watched a few of them for a third or fourth time. And I came away pretty thoroughly unimpressed with a couple of elements here. So it felt like Moore had to pitch his way out of trouble a lot more than you'd really like to see against a lineup as bad. And, and, and it's, it's bad as the Tampa Bay Rays. In Moore's start, they only fielded three position players who are above average hitters on the season. 
in Daniel Robertson, who is still a very young player, breaking his way in the league. C.J. Crone, who Rangers fans will remember as being a thoroughly mediocre first baseman for the Angels the last couple of years, who's now a thoroughly mediocre first baseman for the Rays. And Malik Smith, who was off to a very good start against left-handed pitching this year, as the broadcast pointed out multiple times, Moore was the first lefty to get him out this season, but is still a left-handed hitter who is still quite young and has yet to really establish himself as a hitter in the major leagues. Those are the only three guys on that team who are above above league average, not even just above average, just above a zero line for hitting. And against those guys, they went two for six with two walks and a hit by pitch, and he only got one strikeout, and it was against Smith, where he has the lefty-lefty matchup. So that wasn't super encouraging to me. Do y'all have any more feedback on that before I dive into a little bit of uh, advanced stuff on them? I did look at, uh, I watched some of the highlights. I wasn't able to watch the game live, and I don't have uh, the subscription service where I can go back and watch it. Um, But I did watch the highlights, and it seemed like a lot of the strikeouts that he was getting or maybe some of the weaker, weaker contact was... I mean, I'm I'm no scout. I've said that probably 20 times an episode already, but it looked like it was a more of a case of the Tampa Bay hitters getting themselves out, swinging at bad pitches, not recognizing the pitch out of the hand, uh, rather than sheer dominance or great uh, placement. Or it wasn't based off of anything good that Matt Moore was doing. I mean, of course, full credit to him. He he went out there and he did his job, and we won, and he was basically the reason why. But his dominance and his line maybe is more indicative of he just threw the ball towards the plate, and the Rays hitters thought that they should try to hit it rather than him saying, I know how I'm going to get you out, and went out and executing it. Yeah, and saying towards the plate might be a little kind for Moore's performance. I think he had some difficulty hooking up with Centeno in that game. It it looked like they really weren't on the same page quite a bit. He was, I guess you could say effectively wild, but he, he was certainly wild. He was missing spots a lot. I went back and I watched every pitch in the second and third innings, just selected those at random essentially and tried to pay attention to where Centena set up and then where the ball actually came in. And so I, I saw in that 29 pitches across those two innings, um, and by my incredibly scientific standard of did it hit the spot, did it miss the spot by at least the uh, the strike zone, either horizontally or vertically, or did it hit it by less than that? So those are my three categories of hit, big miss, and sort of miss. And I, I had him with nine total misses, nine hits, and 11 small misses, which I don't know what that looks like. I'd have to look at a lot of innings doing this for pitchers to find out, but that's not really indicative of a, of a strong pitching performance. Um, he got Carlos Gomez to strike out swinging in the third inning on a pitch that was absolutely nowhere near where Centeno was set up. Um he was just sort of winging it in there. And hitters have not been swinging at his balls in the zone so far this year. His contact rate in the zone is well below average. Uh, or Sorry, his swing rate in the zone is well below average. But he's giving up good contact on those swings. So I think he has a, a 60% 
swing rate at, at balls in the zone, which is below league average, but he's giving up 90% contact on those swings, which is below league average in the wrong direction now. So it's hard to say if Moore is finding some way to be deceptive and he's fooling people, or if he's just sort of winging it in there and hitters know that they that he doesn't seem to know what he's doing or they doesn't even know where that ball is going and so are not offering or they're sitting waiting for fastballs or, or whatever it is they're doing. Um, a lot of his peripheral stats are not good. The the strikeouts are not elite and the walks are not good. Um, his strikeout numbers are down on his career and his walks are up. His velocity is down and according to historical data, he's not traditionally a slow starter. He, he usually comes out of the gate throwing about as hard as he does all season and that's not the case this year. His velocity is down even from last year and he's posted at an incredibly low home run to fly ball ratio while at the same time posting very, very high hard hit percentages and fly ball percentages. He's giving up pretty much his, his career line in terms of fly balls, which is high. He is a fly ball pitcher, but he's getting rocked, and those balls just haven't yet started going out. And the number he's posting is absurd. I mean, essentially nobody is hitting home runs on him uh, when they, they very, very much should be. His home run to fly ball percentage is four. On his career, it's 10, which is a, a, about average, give or take. That That's just very unsustainable when you're giving up that many hard hits and you're giving those balls up in the air and they currently aren't going out that doesn't indicate something that's going to be sustained to me and he's going to start running into a lot of these dingers pretty soon unless something else in these peripherals changes drastically and and soon i think the worst thing for me though about the more start and this it maybe sounds unnecessarily harsh, is that it really felt more like an indictment of the Rays lineup than a positive in Moore's favor. And that reflects incredibly poorly on what Martin Perez managed to do to functionally the same team the day before, which, who oh boy. Hayden, did you watch that game? I listened to it, and it was torture. Uh, I definitely, I can't remember if I listened all the way till Perez was out of the game. I don't think I did, but I can tell. It, you don't have to watch necessarily Martin Perez walk guys and make plays <laughs> or fail to make plays and kind of get rattled. Eric Nadell was actually doing a really good job, as he always does, of describing the demeanor of Perez on the mound and after a play just... He, he mentioned a lot of times uh, looking out to center field, f- looking very frustrated and is, you know, I've seen that play out before my eyes many, many times as we all have. So I didn't really necessarily have to watch it to really get a full, you know, maybe a 90% grasp on what was going on. And it was, it hasn't been a good start for our good friend, uh, teen no, absolutely not. He's posting an ERA over 13 right now. He's given up 19 runs. I think all but one of them earned in just over 12 innings. He has exactly as many walks as he does strikeouts, which is uh, never a good thing. K and walk rate should never be identical to each other. Um, that's And they're both horrible. Like It's not like even one of them is good and the other one just needs to move somewhere. It's that his strikeout rate is under 10 and his walkout rate is almost 10. And that's bad. So in actually looking at his results, what I was kind of hoping to find here were that at least one of these pitches was standing out or that you know the changeup is working but nothing else is or that there's some reasons to have some optimism here. 
Uh, and that is that is not what I came across. So buying linear weights, Martin Perez is the fourth worst fastball in the majors this year. He also has the eighth worst slider, the tenth worst curveball, and his very best pitch, you know, his ace pitch, the pitch that got him some very optimistic Johan Santana comparisons, is the twentieth worst changeup in all of baseball. Um, I don't think I really need to explain that having all four of your pitches be among the absolute worst pitches in the entire league is a really, really bad pitching repertoire. Really unfun fact, really super unfun fact, he has the fourth worst fastball. The worst fastball in baseball belongs to Cole Hamels by linear weights. Nope. Yep. Nope. Yep. I don't believe you. I don't want to believe me either. I lie. That's what I do. I'm a bad person. Much so I like do have a Martin Perez's pitches. <laughs> oh man, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. I do have a question though. Um, linear weights. Is there a podcast sixty second elevator pitch or whatever? Linear weights for dummies. What makes it to where? at least just for a fastball, let's say, why is Cole Hamill's fastball the worst? Because it can't be velocity because people throw slower than him. Like, how do you, how is that determined exactly? So linear weights are determined based off of pitch outcome. So the the really basic way is there's a a value that's placed onto every um, situation that has to do with run expectancy. And if if you'd like to have a full readdown on this, uh, if you go to fangraphs.com, click into their glossary section, you can find their page uh, on pitch type linear weights. And that'll give a much fuller breakdown than I can give. But the, the, the little elevator pitch, as you say on it, is that every pitch is going to be worth something. Every interaction is going to you know change the final outcome of the game, even by a, a minuscule amount. So they, they have done all the math. They've worked all the stuff on here. Every time you throw a fastball and you get a strike or you get a ground out or you give up a home run, that changes the final outcome of the game by a certain percentage. And so linear weights are stacked. Every time you have a good outcome, you get a couple of points onto that pitch. Every time you have a bad outcome, you'll lose a couple of points off of that pitch. And so the linear weights that I'm referring to here are actually controlled. They're not simply the counting stat. They're divided by total number of pitches and they're they're scaled to something, so they're a little bit easier to look at. They're not fully stabilized. They're still pretty early in the season. But being the worst at everything, that's <laughs> I, I don't really care how small the sample is. You've still been basically the worst at everything. Um, I, I was having a conversation with this earlier where I don't really understand a lot of the math behind some of these advanced stats, but you don't need to understand the math behind sorting a leaderboard and seeing your dude at the wrong end of it. I blame the bull. Yeah, and maybe killing and eating it wasn't the greatest solution because he's just incorporated that bull's failure into his pitching so far this year. I don't know it, what you can explain it on or what what the reason for it is, but uh, I mean, another practical reason. Okay, go for it. It's that no one's missing. Martin Perez is the absolute worst swinging strike rate in all of baseball. It's minuscule. No one should have a swinging strike rate like this. It's 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 absolutely gross. Every time he throws the ball in the zone, literally every time he throws the ball in the strike zone and someone swings at it, they're hitting it. It's a 100% contact rate on pitches in the zone. 100. 100. Well, you could also 
try to blame it on the tired old argument that he's tipping his pitches, which I've heard lately, which I'm not necessarily uh, sure I agree with. Yeah. If, if he is, he's found a new way to tip pitches, like a new and horrible way to do it, because no one has ever tipped pitches this effectively, I think. It's it's amazing. Uh, the 100%. If you see somebody batting, if you see somebody batting a thousand, you think either they're actually batting a hundred, and that was like somebody who just typed up the graphic did it wrong, or they've had one or two at bats on the season. I mean, you think the guy that's that's throwing batting practice is going to miss a bat every now and then, right? Oh man, I hadn't even thought of that. It's depressing. It's a two point four, two point four swinging strike rate, two point four. I think Bryce Harper's dad did better than that in the home run derby a couple years ago. <laughs> no kidding. It's to me to me that's an incredibly depressing peripheral. So beyond strikeouts and earned run average, which is very easy to to follow, a lot of times, like you said, you'll look deeper into the numbers. That's all what the sabermetrics is about. Is can we? Uh, is this is what we're seeing on the field? Is the final runs, you know, it's scored in a game or home runs or batting average or whatever? Is it true? Is it sustainable? Is it the true value of what's going on? And when you see a guy uh, that we, I mean, we should love Martin Perez. He's a homegrown guy, and we are definitely lacking in those. He obviously already pitches for us, and he has for a while. We want to see him succeed, and when we see him fail, like he has so far to start the year. Um, and been disappointing you say well maybe he's just not getting lucky because baseball is a very uh, luck oriented game maybe this is going to all even itself out and that is not what the numbers say it's 100 percent of the time a batter sees the ball in the strike zone and decides i'm going to try to swing at this pitch 100% of the time they make contact. 0% of the time are they fooled by either the movement or the velocity or the placement. The entire pitching philosophy is a complete failure. It, it's said that, that I mean, I, I don't know, that might be a little bit of hyperbole, but the 100% is, is undeniable. I, I just don't see how you don't fool a guy... Ever. On accident. Yeah. I mean, Matt Moore was doing it. Right. Moore yeah, was throwing pitches in there that had no clue where they were going, and folks were like, oh, 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 I missed it. And Martin Perez hasn't even gotten one dude to go, wow, oh, wow, oh, and miss it yet. Yeah, and, and you said it's a 2.4% swinging strike rate in general. Yep. So even, even when we're talking about, I mean, he doesn't have a Bugs Bunny slider or anything like that. Nope. But... Even even still, I mean, you should be able to get guys to chase. You should be able once you get in two strikes, you should be able to, you know, elevate the fastball and and get somebody to swing and miss. And I mean, he has two point four percent of the time, I guess. So it's just it's it's that to me is so depressing because it said, uh, you know, a kind of a, a, a common maxim about baseball is that you know, hitting is timing and pitching is disrupting timing, and. Everybody is completely confident in exactly what Perez is trying to do, and that does not give us a lot of hope going forward. And I don't really know what to do about that. Well, there's one person who's not confident in what Perez is trying to do, and that would be Perez. 
I'm gonna agree yep. with you. Yeah, it's man, uh, and it sucks to watch. Uh, it really, really hurts to watch. Yeah, I, I, I feel. I don't know if you can tell. I'm sure this comes across. I kind of hope that it does. I'm emotionally in, no. I, okay, in all things Rangers and most things baseball, I'm emotionally invested. And when we're talking about a homegrown. Uh, the next Johan Santana, 23-year-old guy in our system, signs an extremely team-friendly contract. I'm going to be emotional about that guy, and I'm going to be really um, worked up about his performance. And this guy's not 22 years old anymore. He's not 23 years old anymore. He's This is like his fifth or sixth season in the big leagues. Why is he getting so – why is he beating himself? I think he's right at that 28-year mark where everyone's supposed to reach their peak. I mean, that's what's so yeah. depressing about it. Yeah, he should he be at the top of his game right now. Yeah. Yeah. And he's trending in the wrong direction big time. He's never had great swing and miss stuff. That's that's always been the indictment of Perez. He's he's but below average swing and miss guy. For reference, swing and miss or swing and strike rate is about uh, 10, just over 10% last couple of years, and Perez has been more 8% over the course of his career. He's, he's, his best ever was early on. He had just under 10%. But when you lose what little swing and miss stuff you have, this is what happens. For, again, reference, league average contact rate on pitches in the zone is about 85% on the pitching side. Um... Perez has been about 90, and that's why Martin Perez has been a fairly pedestrian pitcher over his career. He's been a, a relatively valuable guy because he's gone out there and he's put up innings, and those innings haven't been terrible, but they've been not great. You know, he has, like I said, below average swing and miss stuff, and he has he gives up too much contact inside the zone. And when those numbers go even a little bit, you know, even a couple of percentage points away from that, the bottom completely falls out when this guy is bringing to the table and that's what we're seeing so far this year he's not fooling anybody and he never really did so i'm yeah. not sure where to go with this well i'll tell you where i have thought to go with this and i didn't think about this until um it was he was doing so poorly the other day and i don't want to overreact to one start i don't want to overreact to just a bad stretch and i think there's something to be said about performance in april leading to more knee-jerk reactions if like if the team were to go through a 7 and 12 stretch or wherever we're we're currently in in the middle of July not many people are going to say this is a 100 loss team but um I did start thinking about uh his contract situation uh during this start as I was listening to Eric Nadell just talk about oh and he walked him and he walked him Oh, and bunt back to the mound, and he couldn't field it. Now he's frustrated. And I feel like, I mean, I'm really frustrated. <laughs> he's frustrated. I'm frustrated. Um, so it got me thinking about his, his future contract situation, and it reminded me of another homegrown left-handed pitcher that we had um, who had a actually really similar contract, uh, and that would be Derek Holland. So Ooh. Derek Holland, his last season with the team was in 2016. And uh, at that time, he was uh, pitching as a 29-year-old, and he ended up getting 20 starts that year. I'm just going to run through some stats, and we will see how they um, really – it's kind of scary how they mimic Perez and uh, maybe give an insight as to what the team might end up doing with Perez going forward because uh, I'll just put it out there right now. I mean, I'm going to squat on this take, and 
we'll see see what happens. But I'm I'm willing to say that we're not going to pick up his option this off season. This is going to be the last season of Perez in Texas. Um, so that would be following you know the Derek Holland precedent, so to speak. So I looked up as to what is the precedent with Holland. So he got 20 starts back in 2016. He pitched 105 innings out of the rotation. And uh, so that's a little bit over five innings per start. Um, the slash line that he gave up was 275, or sorry, 278, 336, 442, uh, which w- led to a 107 OPS plus. So not exactly, definitely not good and not exactly terrible, but um, not somebody that you, I mean, he's a number five starter, I guess. The bat pip that he, he gave up that year was 299, so it can't really be explained by bad luck. It just kind of was a poor year. Um, and his his uh, ex-FIP and his ERA and his FIP are all kind of the same, hovering between 5.1 and 4.7. So his performance was pretty accurate. He, he was not a bad luck pitcher that year. He wasn't striking many guys out, less than one per inning um, at 5.6.9 or 5.6 per nine. Anyways, all this, all this, all this was worth less than one win that season, no matter if you look up uh, fan graphs or baseball reference. And the team decided to decline the $11 million option for him and uh, paid him a $1.5 million buyout and decided to give starts in 2017 to A.J. Griffin and to uh, Nick Martinez instead. So that's a lot of numbers. Um, I'm going to go through this a little bit quicker. For Martin Perez this season, um, he's averaging about four innings per start. His slash line is a robust 453, 507, 688, which is good for a 237 OPS+. plus. So uh, hitters when they face Perez are increasing their production by well over a hundred percent. If you go up to the plate, Is that the bad? odds are that's really bad. A 507 on base percentage means that if you just walk into the batter's box, odds are you're going to be going to first base rather than to your own dugout. So um, his FIP and his ex-FIP are pretty much saying the same story. He's not really getting into bad, some bad luck, but, I don't want to overreact, as I said. I don't want to overreact to this uh, small sample size, whatever. Can, it's April. Can you give me that stat line, that slash line, one more time? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, So th- through four starts this uh, this year, he's got a slash line of 453, 507, 688. Okay, because I was going to say he's turning them into Ted Williams, but he, he is letting people hit even better than Ted Williams. Yes, so. yeah, I had a similar thought. Yeah, so in, and I will say that he is giving up a 463 bat pip, so there's a little bit of bad luck there. But I'll I'll counter that by saying his hard hit percentage is 55 percent, ridiculous. Bad. That's re- I mean, he, okay, I mean, are you surprised he's not fooling people when he's pitching the ball in the strike zone? People are swinging and they're hitting it because they're confident of it. They're not being fooled. And so when you're a hitter and you're not fooled, then you hit the ball hard. That's just kind of what's happening. Um, but anyways, uh, I don't want to overreact to these uh, just couple innings here. But on baseball reference, it actually allows you to go back into the last 365 days of uh, pitcher's performance or any player's performance. So... I just kind of stumbled on that on that by accident. I wasn't really looking for it, um, but so for over Perez's last 32 starts, so this is definitely a full season's worth of starts. 32. Uh, the slash line that he's giving up is still 315, 369, and 478. That's like Adrian Beltre, right? Something around there. 
Uh, That'll get you in the hall. That will get you, yeah. (laughs) Martin Perez over the last year has been a Hall of Fame batting practice pitcher. Um, The bat pip is a little elevated with 340, so there's a little bit of bad luck there, but he's also a guy that's not a strikeout pitcher, so when he puts the ball in play, that's kind of what he's trying to do anyways. Um, All this to say, this is a lot of numbers. I, I wouldn't have remembered it if I didn't write it all down. All this to say is his performance has been bad, and I don't think that we're going to extend him or, or sorry, uh, pick up his option this after, this next season because if you also look at fan graphs, his miles per hour on every single one of his pitches is down at least one to two miles per hour across the board. Um, he's you know supposed to be a ground ball pitcher, right? Well, his ground ball percentage is down to the lowest in his career. Um, it's down by a little bit, so I don't want to overreact to that, but he certainly is not you know, pitching his best life now. Do you think he could uh, contribute any of this or attribute any of this to um, the change in launch angles by batters? That is a great point. That is a great point because that is exactly kind of what my last point is here with this or one of my last ones um, on my manifesto against Martin Perez. I promise I want him to do well. I, I'm not is <laughs> his enemy. This is just what the numbers say. Um, yeah, the, the launch angle. So um, he's been throwing 47% of his pitches uh, are sinkers, which I was listening to something the other day. It might have been the uh, the Baseball the Night podcast or maybe it was even the, the Rangers radio broadcast. I really don't remember. But they were talking about how um, with this launch angle revolution, so to speak, that um, if you're not getting that sinker down in the zone and using it effectively, then it's really not effective at all. At all. And so when half of Perez's pitches are sinkers, and we know that he's not pitching very well and he's not fooling guys, that sinker is going to be elevated some and it's going to be just batting practice. And that's what we've seen. So I, I think that he's, it's kind of unfortunate that his deficiencies, so to speak, lack, lack of um, having an out pitch, um, things like that, uh, lack of, of velocity is going down. It's compounded by the fact that the very kind of pitcher that he is is one that does not survive well in this environment. Um, and then even furthermore, the outfield defense here is bad. He's a he's a he's a poster child for pitch to contact uh, pitching. The outfield defense here is not good. Uh, can't wait for twenty twenty one. Defense hasn't been much better this year either. Infield defense is not going to be that great, and just think about it. Let's fast forward a couple months. Beltre probably won't be here. There's a good chance that Elvis, well, I wouldn't say good chance, but there's a decent chance that Elvis won't be here. We will have, <laughs> uh, we will be a minus with the gloves almost at every position. That's not what you want from a guy that's giving up a lot of hard contact that can't get guys out on his own, and then the the pitch that he does throw. It's elevated and it's designed to be batting practice for guys. I just don't think that he's a pitcher that can survive in, in this kind of environment with his middling skill set. And unless something changes dramatically, um, I don't think that we're going to pick up that seven and a half million dollar option uh, coming up this off season. I couldn't agree more. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I couldn't agree more. Um, it's a very team team friendly uh, opt out. I think the buyout's only what seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. Right. That's correct. You know, seven and a half million dollar deal, which that's been the the kind of marching orders on Perez for the last 
couple off seasons is there's always a, a group of folks who want to cut him because his ERA is too high and he doesn't really do anything particularly ace-like or sexy. But over the last couple of years, I think he's been worth roughly one and a half to two wins both of those seasons. He's got 60-something starts combined. So I think he's got 32 in one year, 33 in the other. He's gone out there. He's eaten up a bunch of innings, and those innings have not been terrible. So that's the kind of pitcher that you're totally fine paying $7.5 million to to come up there and throw another season for you at the age of 28. But what we're seeing so far with Martin this year is not the kind of pitcher who's worth a major league contract, not even a cheap one. Hopefully he turns that around, but the peripherals say that what we see is what we're getting. I think you have a good point about pitchers who are sitting low in the zone. Hitters have, have adjusted to that strongly. Uh, I know there was some discussion about Mike Trout, for example, whose thing is that he absolutely nails pitches low in the zone, and Trout's not alone in doing that in the league right now. So we're going to have to see what what happens here. That's all that we can do. <laughs> yeah, we. Oh, and that that actually does remind me. We can kind of transition out of that. Um, that's all that we can do is just keep giving Perez the ball as long as he's healthy uh, because we don't really have a ton of help coming up on the farm. Uh, we, we can look forward to Johander Mendez most likely at some point this season. I bet he probably gets at least 10 starts uh, depending on how the season goes and how the trade deadline goes. Um, after that, Ariel uh, Warado, is that how you say his name? That's He might be a guy. He's Ariel Harado. Harado, there you go. We all learned something today. Um, but that does remind me that uh, we do have some good players in the minor league system. We have some exciting players. We have some confusing players. We have some really interesting guys. We'll be talking a lot more about these minor league guys uh, coming forward on the uh, on this podcast. Um, we we kind of just wanted to wait for there to be a little bit more to talk about. So the minor league season did start a, a week after the major league season did. So they've really only got probably, what, 10 games under their belt so far. We don't want to say, oh, look, um, you know, Willie Calhoun is this and this, or Pedro Payano is this or that. So uh, we're going to wait, sit on that for just a little bit longer, and we're definitely going to get into uh, prospect talk. And if you're looking to get that prospect fix scratch right now, I think we can all recommend the Rangers on Deck podcast hosted by Definitely. a bunch of our beloved internet friends. Rangers on Deck, check it out. You know, you're going to hear some some good stuff there at all times. Definitely. Between I, our internet favorites, Tippett Participation, Scott Lucas, and Ted Price, Rangers on Deck, check it out. We will have some minor league discussion of our own, and we may even bring on a couple of ringers from outside to give us the rundown but stay tuned for that news later on what we're looking at right now for texas three game series mariners coming to town we're gonna get mike minor getting a turn against not the houston astros for once and fortunately for him the seattle mariners are oh look they're really good too that's irritating but mike minor's gonna go up against felix He's been having a very up-and-down season. Felix has had a rough little go of it the last year and a half or so. We'll, we'll see what Felix we get. Our ace goes against probably Seattle's uh, ace as well, Barcelona Colon versus James Paxton in Game 2. And then we'll get this podcast's second favorite Rangers pitcher, Martin Perez, going up against Trevor Cahill in the third game. Looking forward to seeing Mike Miner. Always looking forward to seeing Bartolo Colon might find something else to do on Sunday. 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Mike Miner. I'll be out at the ballpark on Friday, so uh, oh. definitely want to see what what he can do. He's 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 the only guy that we've got a long term commitment with in the um, three years. So, yeah. you know, hoping to see him continue to develop uh, back into the starter that he was back in the early teens. Definitely on board there. Miner has been, we've talked about him a lot on this podcast before, we need to rehash it, but Miner has been pretty solid this year. He's been very, very encouraging. Uh, the most encouraging non-Bartolo Colon pitcher, I think, on the staff. So, should be a, a good one. First two games, going to feature some pretty good pitching. And we'll see if he can cool off the incredibly hot bat of Robbins and Cano, or slow down whatever it is that this Mariners team is able to put together. I did tease in the precast that we're going to see one of my favorite players in baseball in this series, my favorite Mariner, non-Ichiro category, uh, and it's Dan Vogelback. Love me some Dan Vogelback. Oh, oh, you're going to find out. Dan Vogelback is a, a revelation. He is their, big finger quotes here, first baseman. Okay. Stay tuned. You're going to love Dan Vogelback. Okay. So we'll have a full... Dan preview or sorry uh, Dan in review on Sunday's uh, episode it's gonna slash be Dan Mondays in Dan in review <laughs> I can, that's already the title episode 8 Dan in review coming to your iTunes stores on Monday and all your other places that you get podcasts of course before that you will be listening to this episode um, Rangers Rundown you can find us on iTunes you can share us on the internet by with links and we're on Twitter at Rangers Rundown um, I am at B-U-H Money Max is at Sveld Marvin with the V's as always and uh, Mike is at uh, C. Michael Kinzer and uh, we got some uh, I, I keep saying this but we do have some really good ideas coming up we're excited about the way that this is going and uh, thank you so much for listening we uh, we appreciate you interacting with us and supporting us and we want to support you so if you have any ideas or anything that you want us to talk about let us know and we will address it hopefully we uh, sweep the Mariners do something crazy put Dan in his rightful place this is where we turn things around. I can feel it. Okay. Stand in a corner. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, Mike, make sure that you, uh, you just bring the cheer really loudly on Friday, and uh, we'll be looking You might be able to act- hear my actual cheer on Friday. That's what I'm worried about. Okay, yeah. Just remember when it's really quiet or something, just yell out, Rangers run down. <laughs> Podcast. Deal. I'll, I'll then- be in the infield. I will definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, and then... <laughs> Get the beer vendors do, on board. Yeah, yeah, and what we need to also do is, is uh, if you're close enough, just if you see somebody having a great game, just say, Joey Gallo, actually good, and just point at him and just see if he responds. Let's get it started. Done. Done and done. All right. I love it. I love it. Okay, this has been Rangers Rundown, uh, and we will see you mostly on Mondays and Thursdays coming up this season, so we will see you pretty soon. Go Rangers! Go Rangers! Go Rangers! Rangers.